If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello out there and welcome to episode 128 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Jamie Beckler. Jamie is an author, a professional speaker, a leadership trainer, an executive coach, and a title we hold in particularly high esteem, a podcast host. And he's also an avid reader, and that leads to the resource for this episode, which is Jamie's list of 18 for 18, or 18 books to read in 2018. And this is a great list of books to read if you are devoted, and we know you are, to continually trying to learn and gain greater insights so that you can maximize your success. Within this list, Jamie also links to his 15 best books for leaders. So this is really a a resource that keeps on giving, and you can get it by going to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 128. And Jamie is just an all-around interesting guy. He has a history as a a basketball coach. I know, Salisa, and uh, you were the one who, who got to spend time with him. What all did you cover? Well, as you might uh, expect, we focused primarily on leadership because he's moved off of the uh, basketball court, but uh, taken a lot of leadership lessons, team building lessons from uh, the basketball uh, arena and now is applying them uh, in the business world, working with individuals and organizations that really want to take their teams to the next level. I think one of the interesting things that uh, Jamie deals with is this idea of anyone can lead, that you can lead no matter what your role. And really his view of leadership is that it's influence. So we get into um, talking about how you can increase your influence, how you can lead when you don't have you know, org chart authority, um, but you really want to make sure that you're trying to uh, fight the good fight, convince uh, your team members, your colleagues, even your, your bosses, even people you don't have um, you know, direct lines to in, in your organization, people outside your organization. How can you um, begin to exert influence and, and determine, help determine the direction that an organization is, is taking? So we get into things like that and, and talk a bit about how people can begin to become more influential um, themselves. We talk a bit about um, some things that are, are changing um, in terms of technology in society that are impacting how leaders have to act in the world. And we also got into a little bit of his uh, hosting of a podcast and, and kind of what he's learned from that so far and um, what got him uh, into the podcast business to start. So um, as you said, that's definitely a topic very near and dear to our hearts and, and of interest to us, but I think his perspective on that uh, will be of interest to, to everyone. Well, it's always good to hear from other podcasters and uh, and of course that whole concept of leading when you're not necessarily in a role that has a, a leader title associated with it being so important. We, we talked about that quite a bit uh, and are still talking about it in learning technology, design, and the role of influence. Influence just being so, so powerful in leading and learning. So very much looking forward to this conversation with Jamie Beckler, and let's go ahead and roll it.
Hello out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm talking with Jamie Beckler. Jamie is a professional speaker, a leadership trainer, an executive coach, an author, and a podcast host himself. Um, And before going into full-time leadership work, Jamie spent 20 years as a college basketball coach, professor, and administrator. Now he motivates people and coaches organizations on how they can build championship teams and cultures. Jamie, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Salisa, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, so to start us off, uh, I want to give you the chance to add a little bit to that brief introduction uh, that I just gave. So what else would you have uh, listeners know about yourself and your work? Well, yeah, you uh, you did a great job hitting the highlights there. Uh, I, I coached basketball for uh, quite a while and at the college level, and uh, always had a uh, a desire to help people learn and a desire to help people uh, kind of maximize and and optimize their their potential. Um, you know, even with with my players, I was always trying to maximize their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and and find ways to motivate them because everybody has kind of that carrot that, uh, that makes them uh, tick, uh, the things that make them, that they get them motivated. And so that's something that always has been a big deal to me, um, both in my own life, but also helping others. And so, uh, yeah, you hit a lot of the highlights. Now I I go around, I work with, uh, high school, college and professional sports teams. I work with businesses, uh, pretty much anybody that wants to kind of take their, uh, their success to another level or, or reach their potential a little bit. Well, great. Uh, and I know that one of the topics that you uh, address is leading regardless of role. And so I would love to have you talk a little bit about how leadership differs or, or maybe doesn't differ, you know, when you've got authority on an org chart versus when you're dealing with, with equals or maybe even people outside of your organization, you know, how does, how does leading in that context work? Yeah, great question. And and what you see, whether you're working with a sports team or whether you're working with businesses, whoever you're working with, whenever you have a team or whenever you have roles assigned, sometimes you have people that or there's assumptions uh, with those roles. There's there's maybe the job duties, the, the tasks, the responsibilities that come with the job description, but there's also assumed roles. And a lot of times what we see is people will say, well, that's not my job, or that's for somebody else to do, or that's not my responsibility. When in reality, you know, the, what we kind of teach and what we kind of put out there is that everybody's in the same boat. And so, you know, let's say, you, uh, you, let's say, you know, it's a silly example, but let's say you have a boat and at one end of the boat, there's a hole in it and it's taking on water. Well, if you're at the other end, you can't be excited because, well, the hole is not at our end. Mm. Um, you know, because eventually you're all going to sink. And so that's how teams are, no matter almost, no matter what team you're on, whether you're, in, uh, you know, working with a church, a nonprofit, whether you're working with a multimillion dollar business or a sports team, you know, you're all in this together and you're all moving uh, to, you know, moving forward to achieve a common goal. And so what we try to help people understand is that their role is important, but that they can lead in their role. And, and, Leadership is more than just, you know, you mentioned uh, an org chart or, or flow charts or, you know, it's more than flow charts. It's more than titles. It's more than positions or having authority. Leadership is really just influence. And so when we understand that and understand that even if we're not very high up on that organizational flow chart, you know, maybe we're toward the bottom. We still have influence because there's people next to us. There's people that we interact with daily. There's there's people that go into the break room, you know, and, and drink coffee together and, and you're 
influencing them or they're influencing you all at the same time. And eventually that helps lead your team forward or lead your team backwards. And so, you know, we really try to help people understand that, that, that where they're at, regardless of their role, they have a huge impact on a company or on their team or on the people around them. And, and just, you know, a simple smile, just a simple kind word, just simple, you do your job right can, can oftentimes, you know, pay huge dividends in a, uh, in an organization. Well, and you, you already mentioned influence and, and said that basically leadership is influence. And I wanted to dig into that topic of influence a little bit because I'm interested in, in what creates influence. And so, you know, if I'm really interested in, in becoming a person of influence, you know, what, what tips or tools or, or techniques exist for me to, to build that influence that I can exert over others? Well, first you have to be somebody that's, that's worthy of being fouled or somebody that, that is respected by others in terms of if you want to have a positive influence, because we all have influence over somebody and we all can lead somebody. It's, it's just really a question of whether we're going to lead them forward or lead them backwards, whether Mm -hmm. we're going to influence positively or influence negatively. And so if we've got, uh, people's respect, if, if people look at us and say, you know what, that's a person of an, uh, of integrity. That's a person of character, or that's a person that knows where they're going or knows how to help me get to where I want to go. Then they're going to follow you and they're going to be influenced by you a little bit more. And, and, and adverse can be true as well. You know, if, if I'm somebody that wants to be lazy or I'm somebody that doesn't really give a rip about this organization, well, I might be attracted to somebody likewise that doesn't give a rip about the organization. And so, you know, but when you're looking at leadership, when you're looking at influence, I think it starts with you. You know, you can influence you first. You can mm-hmm. lead yourself first. And and you you really don't have to worry about anyone else to start with because you have to do what you're supposed to do first. Uh, that comes with integrity. That comes to, uh, you know, having responsibility, uh, you know, taking responsibility for your actions. I, I love a quote that Teddy Roosevelt um, used to say, and he said that if, uh, I kicked the person in the pants that was most responsible for my problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week, (laughs) you know? And and so responsibility, a lot of times we don't take responsibility for our own actions. We want to put the blame elsewhere, but you know, if we have integrity, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, regardless of how the outcome is going to be, or regardless of who's watching, and then we have responsibility. I think what's going to happen is people are going to start to gravitate toward us. And then we're going to be able to influence others and and lead people and bring people along with us. And, and, you know, another thing about the influencing others and and leading others is, you know, I, I I hear this a lot, whether it's in companies or whether sports teams is, well, the team won't listen to me or the team won't do what I say, or somebody in a company might say, well, I'm nobody, you know, this whole, the company's not, it doesn't matter what I say. Um, but the thing is we all have one or two or three really close friends or associates that will listen to us. And so it might not seem from a macro level that we can create much change, but from a micro level, sometimes we can, which then, uh, you know, can multiply that influence. You know, we, we influence one person, uh, maybe two people and who knows, maybe then they are able to influence someone else that maybe we aren't able to touch. And and so it's, it's kind of a, a, a multiplication of your influence. Yeah. So sort of an, the multiplier effect, you touch the people that you have some influence over, then they can touch the people that they have influence over. And so it could spread that way. Y- you know, I think one of the things that occurs to me as you're talking is, you know, that 
you you have the basketball background and and you know you've used that in the in the context of, of sports organizations. Now you're using it in the context of of other organizations. But you know this idea of the team being so central because as you said, you know that the, the team kind of succeeds or fails together. You know, you don't um, typically have kind of the, the one player. I mean, I guess it's possible to have, you know, the one player who gets called out for their their great performance aside, um, even if the team loses. But in general, you know, the success and failure is tied up together. And, and that can often be the case in organizations, but also sometimes not. I mean, sometimes there's a little bit of, of um, friction within an organization. And so kind of maybe, you know, one division's um, goals might actually be a little bit at counter purposes with another divisions or do you, do you run into that type of um, situation where sometimes part of what needs to be done is really getting everyone on the same team and getting them kind of uh, focused on the same goals and outcomes yeah a lot of times you have to uh, you have to kind of train and teach people that what they're doing does matter to other people and in it's kind of a collective responsibility that we're all in this together that, uh, you know, what you do does affect us. So, so let's say you're in a, uh, you know, it, it could be a, uh, a, an automotive, uh, manufacturing plant or you build airplane parts for Boeing airplanes or whatever, you know, there's so many different divisions within that, that, uh, center or that factory. And, and you could get lost in the fact that, well, what I do doesn't matter to these people or these people, what they do doesn't matter to me. But if let's say you don't get the parts done in time, they can't go over here to this other area. And then this other area isn't, this other area finds themselves behind. And so what happens sometimes is we just don't think about that or, or, you know, billing, you know, we're in this office, we're not on the, the floor where, you know, it's 120 degrees or whatever, the sweatshop type thing. You know, what, what do these two things have in common? Well, they have in common because they're both trying to get that part to the customer. They're both trying to achieve a goal. They're just doing it different ways. And if, and if billing, you know, if, if, uh, sales, if they're not all doing their jobs together, then, you know, eventually we're going to have to lay off people because, the whole company is not going to do as well. And so sometimes what you have to do uh, with your specific organization is show each other and train each other why each other actually matters uh, to one another. And so that's that's sometimes a difficult thing because we do live in a bubble. Sometimes we do live in a vacuum with our thoughts and we don't see the big picture. Sometimes we just see our tree instead of the forest. And and when we can see the whole forest, then we start to understand how important our role is, but also how important other people's roles are. And so then that goes into how we can encourage others more. You know, well, I, you know, what does it matter if that other if that other group or even second shift is is doing well because I'm on first shift. Well, we all incur- if we can encourage each other and if we can celebrate each other's successes, then maybe we start to build a little bit of a better culture which then, you know, you start to have a lot of success and then everybody, you know, everybody gets promotions, everybody gets little raises, everyone gets bonuses. And just, it's a little more fun to come to work when, when we're all in this together. Well, great. And, you know, you've, you've begun to get into some specific examples there, but I, you know, I'm thinking you've worked with a lot of organizations, you worked with a lot of individuals in this domain of leadership. And so I'm wondering if you have begun to see commonalities, you know, are there, ideas or actions that tend to improve 
leadership regardless of the particular people or, or businesses involved? And I think you've already begun to touch on some of them, but I'm interested to, to know if there's more. I mean, I think you've brought up this idea of responsibility and integrity, but are, are there other kind of commonalities that you see? Well, one of the commonality, one thing that I see that, that sort of pains me sometimes is that, uh, we don't take the approach of, of what we talked about earlier of, of that, that we're all in this together and we do have that collective responsibility. So for instance, uh, a lot of times I will be hired or other consultants will be hired by upper management, you know, to come in and, Hey, fix these people, fix, fix this group, fix this, uh, help these people. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the culture is set and carried out and the culture is set and emphasized by the upper management. And it's not just a Band-Aid approach where if you're a leader in a company or an organization or you're a manager or you're a supervisor, it's not just, hey, fix these people and everything will be good. We're all in this together to try to grow, to, to, to get better. And we need to evaluate our whole company and our, evaluate our whole organization. How can we help everybody involved? And a lot of times that means looking in the mirror. That means us. What are we doing? It's not about bringing in an outside consultant. It's not about slapping you know, up on a wall a great little poster or a great little mission statement. But yet we're, uh, we don't carry that out in our day-to-day. So you know, a lot of times with culture, you know, upper management wants a culture to be better, or we want a culture shift or a culture change. And what we do is we 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 have you know some great little consultant type thing uh, happening, or or we have this new letterhead, or or we paint the walls, so to speak. But I don't approach my secretary in the right way, or I don't uh, make it a nice place for for people to want to work. They don't they don't want to come to work each day. Uh, I don't motivate my employees. I don't inspire them. But I've put up a whole bunch of cute little sayings on a wall, and so sometimes uh, upper management struggle. I see the struggles that they have because they don't accept responsibility for the culture that they've either allowed or that they've emphasized. Um, and then secondly, in the same breath, you know, you look at, uh, let's say the common worker or, or, you know, the salespeople or the people down on the shop floor, they look at it as, well, that's just what upper management wants. They just, they just want us to get better. Or they're telling us to do this, this, and this, you know, but I, I just work for an hourly wage or I just do this, or I do do that. Well, they don't see how that, you know, even though it's your boss and you might not like your boss, sometimes your boss might be right. Or even if, you know, they're right or wrong, they're an idiot or they're smart. It doesn't matter. You still have a job to do. You were hired to do a job. And more importantly, you have integrity or you should have integrity to want to do things as best as you can. And at the very least, if you're going to be there eight hours a day, you might as well have some fun and you might as well enjoy what you're doing. And so part of that is getting along with others. And part of that is, you know, can we have a, a shared sense of purpose or, or what's the purpose of coming to work? If it's just a punch a clock, it may not be fun. If But if we see that, hey, what we're doing, what we're doing here, uh, this car part is going to help a car run better. Uh, which, which means people will get where they need to go. Um, kids won't be stranded on the side of the road when the car breaks down or they'll be able to get to soccer practice or, you know, you know, just what I'm doing, even though it seems menial, it actually matters in the, in the grand scheme of things. And so don't look at it as I'm just making this little part for this car or this airplane, or I'm making, uh, you know, whatever, uh, look at it as what, what does it really bring to people's lives? And, uh, you know, I, I think about Southwest airlines and Southwest airlines, 
they think about a bigger uh, picture sometimes. They like to think of it as what we're doing is we're helping people, uh, we're helping connect people with those people in their lives that matter. They're not thinking necessarily, well, I get someone from point A to point B. They're thinking, I get somebody to get to go see people that matter to them and helps them in their lives or, or brings joy to their lives, not just as a, a mode of travel, but a mode of how can we connect people with other people. And so they kind of look at it as a bigger picture. So, you know, employees, if you can look at things from a bigger picture, uh, sometimes I think that you're going to enjoy your jobs a little bit better. Great. So definitely that understanding of kind of the your role within that broader context, um, within that bigger picture of what the organization is out there to do sounds important. It sounds too that there's um, a lot to be said for not just uh, talking the talk, but walking the walk, making sure that um, those involved in the organization really are um, committed to um, whatever the goals of that organization are, that they're committed to supporting um, the colleagues that they work with, the customers that they serve, all of that it makes a lot of sense to me. And and I know that leadership is so essential to what organizations do, um, and it's important to us as individuals too. And yet, you know, the, the fact that that you and, and other leadership trainers and, and coaches exist, you know, says to me that there's room for improvement, that, that maybe leadership isn't done right um, all that often. Uh, so, I, you know, are there common mistakes or missteps that you see in leadership, you know, even as people are trying to kind of go, yep, uh, I, I'm going to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I'm going to make sure to understand the big picture. Are there other kind of um, uh, little errors that you tend to see frequently over and over that we might be able to watch for uh, in, our, in ourselves, that our listeners might be able to, to watch for in their own actions? Two, two things really come to mind. Uh, one is, and, and one is we see this played out all the time, not just in, in, uh, you know, businesses or leadership, but we see this in our day-to-day actions with other people. We see it on social media, but it's, it's perspective. It's not seeing people's perspective, not seeing, uh, other people's point of views, not necessarily not agreeing or disagreeing, but we don't even look at it. We don't mm. even see someone else's perspective. And, and oftentimes, you know, you need to understand where another person's coming from. Uh, you know, and, and if anyone's ever taken debate classes or argumentation classes or, or, you know, any, any type of lawyer will tell you that you need to be able to argue the other point or see the other person's point of view in order to argue your point the best. And so, uh, you know, one is, is to win your argument, you need to see the other point of view, but even more importantly, just to get to, you know, maybe what, what's the best win-win situation for this, for, for what's going on you need to see the other person's situation. So it's not just to win your argument, but it's to get a win-win situation because that's really what we should be doing. And a lot of times as leaders or even as, as someone that doesn't think that they're a leader, what we're trying to do is we're trying to win. Uh, we're trying to get our way. We're trying to win sometimes and, and at what cost. Uh, and I think of, uh, you know, I was in high school and, and I'm walking down the street with my, with my mom one day and we have to get across to the other side of the road. And, and like, you know, a punk teenager, I'm not going to wait for the crosswalk. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to walk across the road. And so I start to walk across the road and my mom grabs my arm and, and I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, well, cars are coming. You can't just cross here. And I said, mom, I got this, you know, uh, uh, pedestrians have the right of way. And I'll never forget. She said, yeah, and you'll be dead right. 
Mm. <laughs> and you know, you know, sometimes th- this isn't directly correlated to having perspective or, or seeing other people's perspectives, but sometimes we're so dead right. Sometimes, yes, we might be right, but we're not looking at other things. We're not looking at others' point of view or where they're coming from, their background, uh, their culture. Um, we're not we're not taking that into account. We're just so right. And and you know, sometimes we are right technically, but we don't get a win-win situation. I win, you lose. Um, and, and unfortunately in our culture, that's, that tends to be the case too much right now, especially if you, if you watch the news or or see social media, but even in our organizations, it's like that. Um, and we lose sight of the fact that we can actually have multiple winners and that we all should be trying to find the, we find the best way, um, you know, to, to, to get everybody on the same page and everyone having a common goal and, and shared purpose and, and win-win situation. And, and so, you know, first of all, perspective, not seeing point of view. Secondly is connecting. We don't connect well with people. And that goes to the first point there. We don't connect well. We don't find out what's going on in people's lives. We don't find out what makes them tick. Uh, we just stay in our own little bubble or our own little isolated world and maybe even we communicate well with people. We just don't connect with them very well. Sometimes uh, we don't uh, we don't find out you know what they like to do. We don't find out why they're even in this job. What motivates them? Uh, what inspires them? What their visions? What their goals? Their dreams are. And I see this a lot with um, you know so-called millennials or you know now Generation Z. Uh, the I generation, whatever you want to call it, we, we struggle generationally to connect with other people. Um, you know, I'm a generation Xer, but the P the baby boomers before me, you know, they, they thought a lot of me the same way I might think of a millennial. Um, every generation that comes after you, you think that they're the worst generation ever, or they're, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't the same as you. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily that they're bad or good. It's that they're maybe a little bit different. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to face differences all the time, whether it's race, whether it's uh, gender, whether it's just beliefs, cultural back, social economics, you know, there's all kinds of differences that we have as people. And we have to learn how to, uh, you know, how to get along with those kind of, when we, when we deal with people that are different and, and it could be even, you know, on a sports team, people like different musics, uh, people, people have different preferences on different things. Um, but you know, people are going to have differences and we have to be able to connect with them on some level and, and understand that. And one way to do that is to see their point of view sometimes. And that doesn't mean that we agree or disagree. Um, and, and disagreeing doesn't mean that the other person's an idiot or that they don't know what they're talking about. It just means that maybe they have a, they come from a different background. And so, you know, that's a, that's certainly a macro level approach to a degree, but it can have micro implications in our organizations or on our teams, because if we don't see our team members point of view, or if we don't try to connect with them and, and connecting happens, uh, uh, that's a major problem for leaders when, when they feel like, well, I'm an authority or I'm at the top of this organization, organizational flow chart, I don't need to necessarily connect. I don't need to necessarily know what's going on in their lives. But if you want to get them to do things that they don't want to do, then you're going to have to find a way to do that. And one way is to connect with them. Um, that's really the only way you're going to motivate or inspire anybody is if you make a connection with them. 
Well, so and I like what you're saying because I, I, the, the two points do definitely seem related to me. I mean, perspective is sort of about changing your own mindset and, and really um, taking the time and effort to see that other side, that other point of view. And then the connecting is then acting that out. And then with that new um, perspective, that new understanding of, of the other person's side and point of view, what actions do you take? How do you actually um, uh, interrelate um, based on that change in perspective? So great. Thanks for those suggestions. So, you know, I'm thinking about all the change that we've seen in the world and society and, and technology has been driving a lot of that change of late. And so I'm wondering if you see implications for leadership. Do you think that the nature of leadership needs to shift in the coming years to account for and address some of the changes we're seeing? Or is leadership more of kind of just, you know, a fundamentally always the same um, type entity? Yes and yes. Uh. I, I, I do. Yeah. Uh, I hate to give that answer. But yes, in terms of I, I think there's some core principles that apply regardless. And, and, and I think they were the same back in, in Roman times, back in biblical times, back in the 1800s. Uh, I think there's some principles. Uh, you know, you, you look at the life and times of an Abraham Lincoln. You know, he was a, you know, C, C-SPAN last year did a, uh, did a, uh, a poll of almost a hundred major historians and, and Abraham Lincoln came out as the best president of all time. Well, you look at him, he failed over and over and over again and faced challenges and adversity, uh, before he was even president. And then once he became president, you know, it was arguably the nation's worst time, uh, during the civil war where we're actually killing one another, um, in a war, you know? And so to look at that, where, all right, this guy is our, our greatest president ever. Well, he had, as a leader, he was able to overcome adversity. He was he had resiliency. He had a, an inner strength, you know. So, like a resiliency, a, a strength of character, uh, knowing what he wanted to accomplish. Those are things that are going to remain constant for a leader, no matter what decade, no matter what era you live in. Um, but he also connected. He also understood where other people were coming from. And, and, you know, he once said, I I don't criticize someone else because, but by the grace of God, you know, I would be in their same situation or I would be the same if I was in their situation. So he tried to understand uh, where other people were coming from. And, you know, even look at his cabinet, his cabinet was full of people that were, were not from his party or were people that were out opponents of his. So he was able to try to bring people together and connect people for a a shared common vision. And so, you know, you look at, you know, as we go forward, you know, yes, you need to have some common principles, some core principles, core values in your life, but also you have to be able to adapt to the changing times. You know, certainly nowadays with, with definitely with social media, I don't necessarily think social media is, is, any more difficult than not having, uh, you know, I think back to way back in the day when you only had a telegram or it, you know, the, the pony express, you know, it took four or five days to get a message. I don't think that that's very easy, but I also don't think it's very easy when in, in five seconds you can get a message out to, to millions of people mm. right away. They both present challenges and they both present uh, opportunity. And so leaders always have to adapt 
to the culture, have to adapt to technology, have to adapt to what's going on. And, and if you don't adapt, then you're going to fall by the wayside. But I think you can look at, you know, where we're going with technology, especially social media, and, and you can use that as an opportunity. You can use that as a tool, uh, a resource to connect with people, a resource to provide information, a resource to help others. And, uh, you know, I speak a lot to, uh, to high school kids and college kids sometimes on social media. And, and one of the very first things we try to point out and try to get them to understand is that social media, I'm all in favor of it. I don't want you to shut off your media, social media account. I just want you to use it as a positive tool. Use it to brand yourself. Use it um, as opposed to a weapon. Use it for good and and look at the opportunities that, that are there for you. And leaders can do the same thing. Uh, whether you're a political leader, a business leader, or a sports leader, you have a great opportunity with social media to, to reach so many people and to be positive with your message and to provide hope and, and provide a vision of, of where we need to go. And, and I think that there's some business sports and political leaders that are falling by the wayside with this. And I think there's some that are using it appropriately. And so, yeah, as leaders, I think we are always going to have some core fundamental values that I, that I don't think change, but, but I also think we do have to change in our strategies. We do have to change sometimes in our approaches to, to reach people and to meet people maybe where they're at. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's great. That's right. So there are the constants of leaderships, but then sort of the situations in which they get applied, the, the strategies, as you just said, the tools tend to differ. And so that you have to um, think about how those constants have to change a bit or be applied within those kind of changing technology landscape. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is I know that you opted to get John Maxwell leadership certification. And I know that a good portion of our listeners either offer certification themselves or provide education that supports getting or maintaining certification. And so I was just interested to hear from you. What's, what's been the value of that certification for you? Yeah, as you said, a lot of your listeners are are involved in certification on on one, you know, one hand or the other. You know, they're they're either providing it or they're they're getting it themselves, or in some cases, uh, both. But yeah. you know, so so they they definitely know their side of it. But I would say when you when you're providing certification, you're able to get your message out. Like we talked about uh, a little, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, you're able to. Uh, to broaden, uh, your audience and, and get your message out because you're only one person. And, and, and a lot of your listeners have great things to say, great content, um, great things that can add value to people. And so by certifying others and, and getting that out there, they broaden their, uh, their platform for people that are getting a certification. Like I got the John Maxwell certification, as you mentioned, I was, it was something where I had used the John Maxwell, uh, books. I'd read a lot of his books through the years as a basketball coach. I had used his stuff with my teams. It seemed like a natural progression for me to, to do that. Um, certainly as I was deciding, I was in a, I was kind of in a, a transition period mentally where I was loving what I was doing, being in organized athletics, but I wanted to maybe reach more people and, and I wanted to, to go out there, be more of a leadership trainer, be more of a speaker where I could have a bigger platform. And so as I was looking, it seemed natural for me to, if I was going to do that, I needed to be certified or I needed to get additional training. And so then it, it, it was a no brainer for me 
you know, once I became aware of the John Maxwell certification program to go ahead and do that since he had been so influential with me without him even knowing it, but you know, his books through the years, he's written over a hundred books and, and just, he influenced me so much in my coaching and my leadership style. And so I went and got certified. It took about seven, eight months to get certified. A lot of online stuff, um, uh, in-person conferences as well. But, uh, you know, one of the great things about that online certification or, or anyone, any online certification is, is the depth of resources that you have available. Um, you have so many, number one, you have so many people that you can draw from and rely on and, and bounce ideas off of, but you also have so much, you know, intellectual property, essentially, uh, stuff online that you can just go look up. You can figure out how to run your business. You can figure out, you know, Hey, I want to teach on this subject and, and here are some better ways to teach this material. Here are PowerPoints, here are notes, uh, here, are, um, uh, suggestions from other people that have taught this stuff. And so, you know, I definitely recommend certification and something, uh, whatever you're passionate about or whatever you have the strongest interest in. And I know there's a lot of certifications out there, uh, at different price points and then different, uh, uh, genres or different areas. And so, uh, but I definitely recommend that because it also gives you credibility. You know, uh, not everybody has heard as John Maxwell in my case, but a lot of people have, and it gives you credibility, um, you know, for, for those people that have heard of John Maxwell, because, oh, you've been trained in that. So, you know, you're not just, you're not just another leadership trainer or you're not just another coach. You know, you're somebody that actually has some backing or, or someone that's been trained in something that I believe in. Well, yeah, it shows a level of, of commitment to, to your topic and to your area, if nothing else. Um, and so I wanted to shift gears a little bit, too, because I was interested um, to find out that, that you have your own podcast. Um, as I mentioned briefly in your intro, it's called Success is a Choice. And um, I think you've just been at it for a few months, but you already have a, a pretty big library of episodes. And um, I think it's around 70 already. And so that's been a pretty furious pace that you've been setting for, for yourself. But um, I'm just interested, uh, kind of for selfish personal reasons, but you know what, what decided you to, to say, I'm going to do a podcast and, and kind of what have you gotten out of the experience so far? Oh, it's, it's, it's been great as you could attest to. Um, it's fun. You get to talk to a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting people and you get to ask questions, uh, that you want to ask. And especially for somebody that listens to a lot of podcasts, you know, uh, it, it sometimes you'll listen to a podcast and you're, and you'd like the guest to, or like the host to ask a follow-up and they don't. And so mm-hmm. this way, when you, when you actually host your own podcast, you get to ask the questions, uh, whatever you want to ask. So that's kind of fun. Uh, it's been great getting to know different people. Uh, some of the people I've had on my podcast, I knew before, uh, some of them I didn't. And, uh, you know, like, like for instance, Kevin Harrington, who was an original shark, he was on the first four seasons of shark tank and, and he's the inventor of the infomercial. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I didn't know him, uh, at all before we started. And, uh, and it was great to get to know him a little bit. It's great that, uh, you know, he'll get back to me now. Uh, you know, we, we keep in touch a little bit and, uh, you know, so that's, that's been a great thing where we've been able to, I've been able to establish some relationships and connections with people, uh, that maybe I didn't have before the podcast, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, when I, when I set out to do the podcast, 
I kind of went against conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom or, or, you know, every business book will say you want to niche it. You want to find a target market and, and stick to that. And, and I know that's the right thing to do from a business standpoint, but I decided I was going to go all across the board and have people from different, uh, areas, uh, different backgrounds. Uh, so, you know, I've had, I've had a pastor on who is the, uh, um, uh, executive producer of movies like Courageous or Fireproof or Facing the Giants. Uh, I've had fitness, the USA, Miss USA fitness trainer. I've had sports coaches. I've had Shark Tank people. I've had uh, record producers. So I've had people all across the board. Uh, but the common thing is they all have a story to tell uh, of how they became successful or significant and some of the choices they made or some of the decisions they made along the way. And so, you know, I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to have have an interesting podcast where it wasn't just basketball coaches or wasn't just football coaches or wasn't only entrepreneurs. Uh, because I think entrepreneurs can learn from a lot of different people. Coaches can learn from entrepreneurs. Uh, authors can learn from uh, entrepreneurs. So I think that we can all learn from each other. And so I wanted to have that. And so I've, I've been excited about some of the guests that I've had on. Well, it struck me as you were answering that, that it kind of ties back to that, those two things you mentioned earlier of perspective and connecting in the podcast gives you the opportunity to do both, to, to get different perspective and to connect with others. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I had a, an actor on, uh, early, uh, one of my earlier episodes, I had an actor on it and he's not somebody that, you know, anyone would know, like his name won't resonate with, with anybody, but he's been in, you know, over 50 major commercials. He's been in, uh, uh, my wife was excited because he's in American horror story and he got killed by lady Gaga. And so that was exciting (laughs) for my wife because she likes that show, you know, and, and nobody would, would have heard of this guy, but he was on and, and he's sharing story after story about essentially, uh, treating people the right way in the business and working hard and, you know, treating the person that brings you a bottle of water on the set, treating them the way you should, um, even though they're not the director, because in some cases they will be a director in five years. Um, treating the person that comes and picks you up, knowing their names, uh, being on time, for engagements. Uh, you know, so he talked a lot about work ethic as well. And so those are things, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, a coach in business. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. He, he, he dropped some nuggets of wisdom that anybody could, could relate to and anyone could benefit from. And so that's fun when you get a guest that really crosses over and anyone could, could appreciate. Great. And, and so now I'm going to start winding things down. This is the next to last question. It's one that we, we ask of everyone who comes on the Leading Learning Podcast, and it focuses on your own personal learning. So would you tell us about one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved with um, and I'm, as an adult you know, since leaving your, your kind of formal education? <laughs> well, one of the things that, uh, that comes to mind right away happened, uh, quite a few years ago, but every year around this time I get reminded of it. And it's when I was first fired, mm. uh, you know, I was, I was an NCAA head coach by the age of 27. I was one of the youngest coaches in the country at the NCAA level. And, uh, that was my goal had always been to be a head coach by the age of 32, and so I, I, I smashed that. The thing was by 30, by 32, I was fired. 
Um, so, so I, I think I achieved my goal, but then I'm not sure I achieved my goal because mm-hmm. at age 32, I wasn't a head coach anymore, but you know, but I'm reminded of that, the situation there itself and how that went down and how I reacted to getting fired, um, you know, was, was some great lessons and and I really relied upon some, some strong people in my life to help get me through that because nobody wants to get fired, especially the first time. Um, you know, that failure or that perceived failure or that, Hey, you didn't, you didn't get the job done. And, and so we want to lash out or we want, we, we tend to maybe react the wrong way. And I looked at that, uh, after the first 24 hours, at least I looked at that as an opportunity to get better an opportunity to, to move on or, or, or have a different adventure in my life. And so I was able to really learn from that. And I was really able to show a lot of people, um, with my integrity or the way I reacted to that situation, a lot of people were able to draw strength from that. And, and since then, you know, what I said every time around the, this time of year, around the spring, summertime is, uh, you know, a lot of coaches get fired because it's the end of the college season or end of the high school uh, year. And so coaches are getting fired or their contract's not renewed. And so people are reaching out to me about how did you do this when you went through it? Because I had an article about this written um, that was published on Huffington Post. And so a lot of people have read that uh, article about joining the exclusive club of the I Got Fired Club. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, every time around this time, you know, in the spring or summer when, when school year ends, people start to get fired. And so I've been able to help a lot of people and give them a different perspective on things and, and how they can move forward, you know, when they get knocked down. And so that's one thing, um, that you're never truly prepared for when you get educated, you're never truly prepared, even if you see other people go through it until you go through it yourself. And so I was glad that I went through that. So I was able to help other people and, and it's helped me you know, being an entrepreneur now, it, it's helped me just in terms of not that I'm going to fire myself because I'm my own boss, but you do go through adversity and you go, you do have setbacks and all right, well, I thought that this deal was going to go through and all of a sudden we lost this deal at the last minute and it's not even something I did. Um, you know, how do I respond to that? And so you have to be mentally strong and you have to be able to see the opportunities and, and everything. Well, it sounds like a very personal and at least initially a little bit painful lesson in that power of resiliency, but it sounds like you've, you've taken a, a good lesson away from that experience. So thanks for, for sharing that. And the final question I have for you is just if listeners want to know more about you and, and your work, where should they go? Uh, coachbeckler.com is, uh, is our website. They can also find me on Twitter at coach Beckler. And, uh, the podcast is success is a choice podcast. And, uh, they can, they can check out their at success is a choice podcast, uh, the people's pictures and, and what they do or what they're known for is there. And so they can, they can go ahead and window shop and, and check out some of those, uh, some of those guests and some of those episodes. And, and maybe there'll be a few there that, that interest them based on where they come from, come from or what they're passionate about. I think we'll have, have a couple guests that would be of interest to any of your listeners. Well, great. And thanks so much for your time today, Jamie. I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, it was great. Thanks for the opportunity. That wraps up our interview with Jamie Beckler. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 128. And while you're there, you'll be able to find a link to Jamie's list of 18 for 18 or 18 books to read in 2018. 
While you're there at the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful, as always, if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. It only takes a few minutes, lets us know that you're valuing the podcast, and lets others know what the podcast is all about. Also, we hope you'll tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference, or heck, you can even, in conversation, mention to a colleague that they should check out the Leading Learning Podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.